friends, film fans, it is a super duper day in El Rey for Hollywood because it is Oscar night and we might be among the few people who care, but (laughs) we're forging ahead for the 93rd Academy Awards on Sunday, April 25th. So because we have a super duper show, we have to have a super duper guest. So we have Max Foise joining us today. Axon Movies. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to our guest, Max Foise, in just a moment. Then around minute three, we'll talk about Together Together. Around minute nine, Mortal Kombat. Around minute 22, Brewmance. Around minute 29, The New News at the Muni. Around minute 31, the 25th anniversary of KTRS. And then around minute 34, we'll discuss the Oscars for a very long time. Hi, how are you, Carl Middleman? I'm well, Lynn. So as my wife told me today... Today is the perfect date because she quoted a movie I've never seen, Miss Congeniality, because it's the perfect date. It's not too warm. It's not too cold. All you need is a light jacket, which I responded. No, the perfect date is October 3rd, according to Katie from Mean Girls. That comes from a scene in which I think William Shatner is hosting a pageant and says to a contestant, what is your idea of the perfect date? And so she takes it literally, not figuratively. Right. And so the internet loves that. Aha. Well, have you <laughs> been at, have you been trying to catch up with films like I have? Um, I watched uh, Together Together and I watched what was the other one that was this week? Oh, I watched Brewmance, which was a documentary about home brew. And uh, did you see Mortal Kombat? I did not, but our friend Max Foise did. Yes, I have seen Mortal Kombat. We can talk about that. And uh, as far as catching up on movies, I can say that I think I speak for a lot of people in our collective shoes that are very happy that this award season is coming to an end because that means the, the pandemic year for movies is coming to an end and we can all kind of get back to normal for the next year and the next award season the next year of movies. I'm looking forward to that very much. Yes. CBS this morning had a story about how everyone is excited to go back to the movies. So CBS Sunday morning, go to cbsnews.com. You can watch it. Yes, sir. So do we want to talk about the new releases first or do we want to get to our Oscar predictions? Let's, Let's talk about the new releases first. Let's talk about a movie that I saw called Together Together that is in theaters. It's at the high point, actually. And it's a, I, I saw it described perfectly, a rom-com without the rom. Uh, yes. And so, it was surprising in so many ways. It doesn't go where you think it's going to go. It is unconventional and yet familiar. And I like that they switched the biological clock ticking on a, a typical woman who doesn't have a partner so she's going to go be a single mom and like so many films do and changed it to a male mensch a very uptight guy who invented a dating app he's played by ed helms and ed no 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 lynn it's not a dating app it's an (laughs) app where you can just look at people without having to try to date them it's like tinder but you just it's called lonely. <laughs> and yeah. so you just you just see people and you look at their faces and you just swipe. There's no judgment. It's just like you're these are your friends or these are pretty people. 
yeah, it is. It is kind of a a, a strange thing, but uh, uh, the woman who is his uh, gestational surrogate, Anna and Patty Harrison. Yeah, played wonderfully by Patty Harrison. She thinks it's a very strange sight, but her her cynical coworker at the coffee shop that she's a barista at just loves the app so that's kind of funny because he doesn't really like anything yeah that's and, a character should should the um stereotypical gay best friend be in movies anymore <laughs> yeah well the fact that he's got an edge to him who knows but this is written and directed by nicole beckwith and was one of the surprise hits coming out of this year's sundance film festival yes so now it's making the rounds. So it's only an hour and a half, and each half hour is a trimester in the pregnancy. So it's it's that they use that framing device. I really enjoyed this film because it took me I where I didn't expect it to go, which is always fun. And it's it's um, if you're not a Woody Allen fan, it's also very funny. She takes down Woody Allen in about two minutes and says. Because you're expecting since he's uh, late mid 40, I think he's 46 and she's 24. And so the concept of them dating is always, oh, are you guys together? And they're like, oh, no. And so sometimes he gets offended at that. And sometimes she gets offended at that. But a lot of everybody asks them. And so they have a scene where they even throw out the possibility. He's like, dude, you could be my dad. And then they talk, then they say, well, what about Annie Hall? Which, of course, is one of Lynn's favorite movies. And then she talks about, oh, yeah, well, what about Manhattan? Well, Manhattan needs to go away now because it's so politically incorrect. And uh, even Mariel Hemingway said it could not come out today. Oh, can you well, imagine? It, it, there are a lot of surprising things about this movie. But I also find it disingenuous that he never, ever tries to make a move on her at all. Well, I think because there's Movies. it's so awkward and he he she's always talking about boundaries mm -hmm. and she tends to have the upper hand here in how this is going because they're both very lonely people, but they bond in a platonic way, which is surprising and charming and uh interesting there are some things i know you know my desire to have everything all in a row and told to me um there's a lot of things that that they purposely don't let us know right oh absolutely and i was i was a big fan of that I, this movie was better than i thought it was going to be mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. got a, cute, a very strong supporting cast it's got rosalind chow it's got tig nataro nora dunn and having a career resurgence, Fred Melamed is his dad. Right. Which is really, it's just fun. Nora Dern is his, her, Nora Dunn. I'm so sorry. The I'm Sweeney sorry. sisters. Um, she is his one his mom. mom, but, but they're I, divorced. Right. And so they each have, they each have their own new spouses or boy or significant others because they never really say because they have this baby shower that is awkward for almost everybody there oh yeah well a lot of the movie is awkward which is really fun because it celebrates the awkwardness like the beginning starts when ed helms's character is interviewing anna 
for to be his surrogate. She wants the money to go back to college. And she doesn't she doesn't state. She is trying to not have any maternal feelings here. And part of it is because she had a teen pregnancy, which estranged her family. So there's all sorts of layers to this. Yeah. But it, if you're expecting if you're expecting a typical romantic comedy, this is not it, which is a good thing. Right. I agree. I totally agree. All right. All right. Um, we talked about Truffle Hunters last week. Let's go to the number one movie of the weekend. Max Foise saw Mortal Kombat. The Immortal song is in it, but it's not the Immortals doing it. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I have a question for Lynn and Carl. Have either of you played the video game I Mortal the video Kombat? Game. I played the video game, but it's button smashing. It is. Yes, yes, it is. It, it, it was an early fighting game in the 1990s uh, after the popularity of Capcom's Street Fighter, which had Ryu and Ken and Chun-Li. That game was gigantic, spawned a ton of sequels, still going strong today. And Mortal Kombat was sort of the... Um, the younger brother who was a little more feisty, a little well, more bloody. It, you Street Fighter, you just beat people until they passed out or were knocked out. Mortal Kombat, you actually killed people. Exactly. And so when parents were a little uncomfortable with fighting games, uh, it really reached the zenith with Mortal Kombat. There was a huge censorship controversy back in the early 90s. Parents would forbid their kids from playing the game in the arcade. I mean, you're talking about characters that would rip out hearts and sever heads. Finish uh, him. And, and instead of being animated, these were digitized actors that were actually playing out the moves, which for the time was revolutionary. And so I loved this game when I was a teenager and, uh, you know, had the uh, uncensored version at home and all of that stuff and thought it was a whole lot of fun. That series has also, just like Street Fighter, it's gone on in the video games. It's still going strong. There was a, uh, there was a new version released a couple of years ago. It's a giant multimedia franchise. Yeah, Mortal now. Kombat 11 came out exactly two years ago today and and people love it i mean people think it's a really fun fighting game uh characters from other franchises like ninja turtles and hellboy and ha have actually made appearances in the video games and in the 1990s when the mortal kombat soundtrack which was sort of techno inspired was selling a million copies uh, after being on a couple of commercials they made two movies uh back in the day from uh, the, the music actually came out first max the music came out first then they put the music into the video games and the movies it, okay there you go well the movie i uh, i think it was 1995 the original it mortal is. kombat came out paul anderson not paul thomas anderson but paul ws anderson who went on to do all of the resident evil video game movies which are the most profitable video game franchise of all time he did two mortal kombat movies back in the day and uh they were pretty faithful to the comic or i'm sorry to the uh video games but uh, not really the best acting or special effects. I think they're sort of nostalgia bound with kids right now. People like them a lot because they saw them when they were younger. Well, uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation from 1997 was a bomb. It did not do very well at all. And some of the special effects in that movie are not very special. Uh, it, that, mm -hmm. that Annihilation does not hold up as much as the first Mortal Kombat does as far as the, the fun quotient there. Uh, so now we have Warner Brothers coming back with uh, what they say is a very rated R, very hardcore, very bloody uh, adaptation of the uh, of the games, which takes characters from 
a lot of the different versions. You've got characters from one, two, and three. You've got characters from four. You've got characters from Deadly Alliance. I mean, all kinds of things. So if you've played these games, you're going to have a lot of Easter eggs, a lot of callbacks that you're going to recognize. Um, this movie is rated R. I think when you sit down to watch Mortal Kombat, what do you want? You want fight scenes and you want a whole lot of gore. And the filmmakers have given you both. Uh, you know, the storyline is about Puddle Deep, and that's okay. I don't think anybody is here <laughs> to watch this movie to get some grand insight into life. You want ninjas to fight one another, and that's what this movie gives you. Well, if you if you don't have HBO Max, you can watch the first seven minutes online, and it's all in. And I thought it was all in Chinese because my daughter said, "Oh, that's Cantonese." And but Max says it's Chinese and Japanese because it's a battle between Scorpion and Sub Zero. So right. even in the seven minutes, you get a taste of what this movie is going to be about. Yeah, the prologue uh, features uh, Sub-Zero before he's known as Sub-Zero uh, speaking Chinese and then Scorpion before he's known as Scorpion talking Japanese. And I only know that because I had the subtitles on and it would say in <laughs> Japanese, in Chinese. And it's about their blood feud that's been going back generations. But right away, this movie is not frightened to get weird. Uh, they have dragon tattoos that call human beings to a, 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 a netherworld called Outworld. And there's the nether realm and there's all kinds of supernatural stuff going on. And they, the filmmakers say, just go with it. This is based on a video game. So you're going to get monsters out the wazoo and um, uh, weapons that make no sense and, and special abilities that uh, they never explain. And I'm fine <laughs> with all of that. Uh, this movie feels very, very, very short. There are so many characters that they could have incorporated. They're obviously waiting for sequels. I think this will get sequels. The first movie got at least one. I think we'll mm -hmm. at least see one to this. Um, it's a whole lot of fun. This was this was a whole lot of fun to watch. It is not something you want to watch with your kids, even if your kids have played these games, which they shouldn't play these games unless they're teenagers because they're pretty violent games. It's but rated you R on purpose. You're going to see hearts ripped out. You're going to see uh, heads split in half. You're going to see... Lots arms and lots of out. gore. Yeah, arms ripped out. You're going to see, yeah, it's, it's extremely gory, which for me is part of the fun for a movie called Mortal Kombat. Well, well my also, children, oh, go ahead. yeah, I was going to say, my children had this uh, video game. So I was new to it and I watched the preview. And when I saw the guy's arms explode, I decided that I would not be watching this because it would be pointless. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is definitely a movie that knows its audience, and I think the audience knows they want to watch this movie. If you are at all on the fence, like, boy, I wonder if I should watch Mortal Kombat, then don't watch Mortal Kombat, because this is not a movie that's going to win people over. It's a movie for people who want to see pretty much nonstop fighting. I mean, it's like the, the opening scene that Carl watched it only has about one minute before there's kicks being thrown. Right. And that's kind of how the whole movie goes. I think that's why it feels so short because uh, you, you have a fight and another fight, another fight, some more fights, a fight, and then it ends. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I could have used some more fights. So <laughs> I, I had a ball with this. I thought it was a whole lot of fun, but it's definitely puddle deep. I mean, this is a surface level movie, but I think that's fine. It's an adaptation of Mortal Kombat. I don't see how right. you, you you're want not looking for Shakespeare. Exactly. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Would you have liked to have seen it in 3D, Max? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think that uh, the the blood splattering and the and the the uh, get over here and all of that would have looked great in 3D. Sure. Well, now, the uh, I thought it was in theaters too, right? It is. 
It is. It's in theaters. Because it's 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 clean enough in the box office, especially. Right. It'll overseas. be the number one movie for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, I just like Freddy versus Jason, which was one of my most favorite theater going experiences because it felt like I was attending a boxing match. You had you had people in the in the crowd just going nuts and cheering. I think this one would be the same kind of experience in the theater. You would have people my age, you know, mid forties who grew up with this game, who are really stoked to watch Sub-Zero do his thing. And I think you would have a lot of people applauding and cheering with some of the more brutal kills and a ton of callbacks to that video game franchise as well. It's interesting that the first two movies to make an impact at the box office have been these boxing match kind of movies. I mean, something like Scorpion versus Sub-Zero and Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, these movies are getting people out to the theaters uh, in addition, of course, to people being vaccinated, I, I think the people enjoy rooting for a certain side. Now, did you like this movie better than Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong? No, I, I, I become so invested in the monster verse, mainly because my kid is such a big Godzilla fan and loves everything Japanese culture. And so I think that for him. Godzilla Kong was such a big event and um, we've watched it a couple of times now and I do like the human element in in that story I, I I like the young deaf girl that communicates with Kong I think Kong's got a lot of personality I, I like I, I like Godzilla's whole arc in that movie Mecha Godzilla's pretty great spoiler alert um, so no I, I would probably watch Godzilla versus Kong again I don't know if I would watch Mortal Kombat again unless I was showing it to someone else. Like if I was showing it to Lynn to watch her reaction when arms are ripped out of somebody's body, like that, <laughs> that's when I would watch Mortal Kombat again. Uh, I have a friend that works with me with the St. Louis Blues, and he said, I asked him, so because this was a nerd question that he appreciated because he had been telling me all week that he was going to watch this movie between Thursday's game and Saturday's game. And of course, on Friday, he made sure that he watched Mortal Kombat and he's been looking forward to it. And he's like, can you play the Mortal Kombat song? And I did. And it was great. <laughs> nice. So and they won. I asked him, I asked him a nerd question and I said, did they did they have all eight playable characters? And he used his mental image and he said, no, they didn't. They had to leave some stuff in for the sequel. And I said, oh, there's going to be a sequel. And he's like, oh, they set up the sequel way too early in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a couple of things. There's characters that they mention that don't show up. I mean, there's two that I'm thinking of right now that are major characters that they mention and they allude to, but they don't actually see them. So yeah, I mean, I, if this movie does well at the box office, which it will, and I think streaming numbers on HBO Max are probably huge. So yeah, I imagine we will see those characters in a future film, but hopefully they don't mess with this formula. I want this formula going forward. If there's going to be a sequel, I just want to have the movie begin and have heads ripped off and then the movie end. We don't need anything else in the Mortal Kombat franchise. It does not to be it doesn't need to be Mortal Kombat woke. You know, we need sort of like the Friday the 13th movies. You knew what you were getting. You were going to get Jason Voorhees killing a bunch of teenagers. That's what we need for Mortal Kombat is, "Oh, look, now it's this character. Guess what? His head's gone." That's that's what the fans want. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I, I'm glad it could be mindless, senseless bias. Now, you, you said this is a rated R movie and it's not for kids and you shouldn't yeah. bring young ones to this. Yeah. Um, what about and, and people like Lynn that would not like something like this? Do the detractors have any points? 
Um, you know, when people were raging against the video game back in the 90s, uh, people kept saying it had no redeeming value. The, you know, this game has no redeeming value. Well, as somebody who who played that game a lot, the redeeming value for me was the entertainment and enjoyment and fun that I had while I was playing it. And when I watched Mortal Kombat, I had fun. And I think that's a redeeming quality. Uh, and I, I think the fight scenes are really well choreographed and unlike a lot of other uh, uh, fight scenes in modern movies you can tell what's going on I mean they have stunt coordinators they have people who pulled this stuff off and um, yeah I, I think there's a lot of, of redeeming qualities about the movie if you like action movies if you grew up watching a lot of Bruce Lee movies you're probably going to like this but if you're not an action movie person if you don't like a lot of gore then you can skip this one and you're not missing out on a lot. You're not missing out on a big cultural moment. It's fine if, you're, if your stomach turns to not watch Mortal Kombat. So they envisioned this as a trilogy and they told Collider, the filmmakers told Collider that um, the first film is pre-tournament, the second film is tournament, and the third film is post-tournament. Does that make sense after you've seen it? Uh, absolutely, because I was waiting for the Mortal Kombat tournament, which they talk a lot about. And there are some uh, some scenes that kind of look like stages from the game. Again, there's a lot of callbacks. They definitely did their homework or these filmmakers are just natural fans of that franchise. But you never actually get to the Mortal Kombat tournament. Um, and again, they are setting that up. I think that would be nice to see in, in the next one. I mentioned a video game called Deadly Alliance, which uh, I guess in modern Days is not really well respected by Mortal Kombat fans. I'm surprised by that because that was out on, on the original Xbox about 20 some years ago, and I loved it. And I like that storyline a lot. So I imagine the third movie might have that extra villain come in and be post tournament. That would make a lot of sense. And it would also make me happy. All right. Let's talk about a movie that is very bro centric. It's out right now, it's on Apple TV. Um, it's called Brewmance, and it's all about home brewing and and i say it's bromance because it's nothing but dudes <laughs> making <laughs> their own beer well um, it's okay so the first person you see as a talking head is jim cook from boston beer sam adams and he talks about how he started and he tells whole and he is like he's probably the most famous name in this movie and how he started and he is even though they are the most successful um, microbrewery micro brewery in the country, they still sell thousands and thousands of gallons of beer. But, but they were the first they were the first independent beer seller, basically, to right. really make a mark. So even though I think people look at Sam Adams as being the major and as being corporate, but actually they were the they were the, the first of the independents. They were. And if you look at AB InBev or. Um, Molson Coors, they don't, they sell what Sam Adams is infinitesimal to what they sell. Uh, and it's just, it's, it, they don't compare. And so you think, you think now in 2021 as Sam Adams as being one of the big guys and, and they are, it, it, don't get me wrong, but technically Sam Adams makes all their money on truly now because they, <laughs> because they came out with that truly is that them? That truly, Sam Adams owns Truly. I, I did not know that. Which is the number two seltzer in the country yeah. behind White Claw. Right. So it's, this is all about home growers in Long Beach, California. 
And one of them used to be in Real Big Fish. He left the band to start a home brewery and everybody they interview people from Real Big Fish. And of course, therefore, there is a lot of Real Big Fish songs. She's got this. a girlfriend now. Bum, 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 and bum, bum. sell out. And yeah. they they and they they have all these weird ska things and everyone that they interview from Real Big Fish is like, oh, yeah, we knew he was going to leave and start his own brewery. And that's exactly what he did. And they're starting up. And then they have the uh, Southern Californian uh, big, big uh, the beer festival. And so they talk about how some people don't the old school versus the new school, because it takes a lot of money and dedication to start a brewery as we know here in St. Louis, because they've had lots of, I mean, how many small breweries do we have here in St. Louis? I can think of six off the top of my head. And for a while we had none because AB was so gigantic in the pre InBev days, but in the nineties, we'll talk about the nineties again. That's when Schlafly came about Mm -hmm. and they are the oldest uh, independent brew here in St. Louis. And still, I think, I think now the only uh, sort of mass marketed independent brew because uh, AB, of course, was bought by InBev. Right. You know, and they're no longer a local company. The, the Brazilians and the Belgians, they have they have. Uh, they they I don't think there are any major brands, which is interesting because that's a <laughs> liquor distributorship that are actually U.S. owned anymore. So we have we we get. We get to talk to some of the, as I said, Jim Cook, some of the old school people. You get the head of Anchor Steam, Sierra Nevada, the author of Joy of Home Brewing, uh, the head of Dogfish, Stone Brewing, uh, Russian River, uh, the author of How to Brew. And they they have the bona fides and the gravitas of these longtime brewers. And then you have the upstarts who come in, a father-son team, and the rock star and they go to the national because they know that the national uh, independent beer, it's a big deal. There are thousands of people there. Of course, this pre pandemic when they filmed all this. And if you get one of those awards, you you're set. And so they're like, Oh, we're in 17 categories because you know, they have to make, they said, here's the secret of opening a small brewery, you only have to have one beer that's really good. You can have like seven or eight or 10 beers, but you only have to have one that's really good because that will get people to try the other ones. But then you need one to be your moneymaker. But what one of the teams says, I'd rather have three really good ones than one excellent one and nine crappy ones, which I understand. If you look at what Schlafly did, you know, they really marketed their pale ale, pale ale. As, their, as their flagship. I don't think it's their best beer, but that's what they marketed. You also look at Fat Tire, you know, uh, the, from the uh, company called New Belgium. Fat Tire was their flagship, but New Belgium had beers that were way better than, fla- and, than and, oh, Fat Tire. I, I do not like the Fat Tire. I, and, but, but it's just all and Sierra Nevada. I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of either. Yeah. So you you have 10 Mile Brewing. That's the father son team. And then you have. Uh, Liberation Brewing Company. That is the rock. That's the real big fish guy. But there's another California beer that has LBC because LBC is also uh, Long Beach, California. Mm-hmm. And so then there's uh, we're going to sue you because 
LBC, we can't have the same initials. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so uh, Dan from Real Big Fish is like, I deal with lawyers all the time. And it's just it's just it's fascinating the ins and outs of these little companies that are trying to do big things. I, I liked it. It's uh, it's Christo Brock who did uh, Touch the Wall, which was the swimming documentary a couple of years ago. And it was it's it's a very interesting thing. And I sent uh, links to this film to friends of mine that are that are home brewers because every home brewer, what they want to do, they don't they're not making it for themselves. They make it to share mm-hmm. with their friends. Well, because when you do home brew, you have so much of it uh, that you can't possibly right. drink it all yourself. So you want to share that wealth. It's almost like being a beekeeper and then you're lousy with honey. Like you want to <laughs> be able to give that to other people. I would probably enjoy this documentary too, because as you rattled off all those brands, I'm pretty sure that I have had all of those brands. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, but there's there's the rivalry, but there's also the camaraderie with the small brewing uh, community. And you see that and it's really, it's really sweet. And it's, I mean, it's not the best documentary in the world, but I, I enjoyed it. And I enjoy just like a, being a home brewer. I enjoyed sharing it with my friends that were home brewers. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right, Lynn, what's on your mind? My mom worked at Anheuser-Busch for 25 years, so <laughs> it's a, it's a, I used to know that world. I don't know this world, but uh, I'm, uh, we, we got to give a couple shout outs in St. Louis before we get into our Oscar talk. I am overjoyed about Kofi Coleman uh, becoming the next president and CEO of the Muni. I was fortunate to talk to him on Wednesday because uh, the the uh, news was embargoed till Friday. And it just gives me great joy that somebody of his caliber who the Muni saw his potential. He told me he said it was a 22 year job interview because oh. he's been he's been there. He started he's out been there as a long a, time. He Who's started it? out like, as an usher in the summer. Yep. Oh. And then he went to uh, Emory University. Um, he he's a slew high grad. He went to Emory University and he actually worked at the the movie uh, that had Michael B. Jordan last year. It was it Just Mercy? Yes. He worked at that place. Oh, when that, he was down in Atlanta, the Justice Center. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he's got good experience, but uh, the Muni saw his potential and they groomed him. You could tell they were grooming. I was just really happy when Denny announced his retirement. I was like, hmm, wonder, hmm. you know, because they got to they gotta do that nice national search jazz. But right. No, he's a super nice guy. He was actually he joined uh, John Carney and Julie Buck and myself uh, this week to so we could congr- congratulate him and he's always been a great guest. And of course the Muni, you know, it's a, it's a jewel in the theater world, uh, the world over. So I think it's wonderful that uh, going forward, that's going to be under his leadership. I think that's great. Yeah. I think it's just that he, it's the right time. What does Oprah always say? She says it's uh, when luck and preparation, you know, everybody says, well, it's luck. It's when preparation meets opportunity. That's luck. I think that's an Abraham Lincoln thing to quote. All right. And then uh, what else is going on locally? Well, Max's radio station turns 25. That's right. Congratulations, Max. 
Hey, thanks so much. You know, it's funny. I didn't realize that the 25th anniversary of KTRS was this year. And I first started working for KTRS back in the year 2000. And so 21 years ago, I was there and I didn't realize at the time when I was in my 20s working there that it was a relatively new station. I didn't realize that. I mean, I knew about the history of IBV and KUSA and all KSDAM, all of that stuff. But I guess I didn't really realize how they were just getting their feet wet and, you know, they hadn't even been around for five solid years. And they years stole yet, all those people from the other AM station. You could say stole, but it's sort of more like a Jerry Maguire. It was, I'm leaving, Exodus. who's coming with me? And people mm -hmm. said, okay, I'll come. And that's kind and of And one of them was. is still there. Well, that's the thing is a lot of us have left and come back. I mean, you know, McGraw-Millhaven was over at, at KMOX. He went to KTRS. And then uh, when the Cardinals deal happened, he was fired. And now he's back there. He's been there for about a decade now. Uh, I went over to KFDK. And then I went over to Salem Broadcasting. And now I'm back at KTRS now for the last four or five years. Carney, so Carney was there and then went to KMOX and then went, came back. And then came back. Exactly. So a lot of us is kind of, you know, radio is a very strange business anyway. And you kind of know the same people work with the same people over and over again. But it's uh, it's really great to trace my own history uh, that one of the first gigs I had here right after my my first gig here in St. Louis was KMOX. So just like everybody else, I went to KTRS and <laughs> well, and Wendy, Wendy years. was KMOX and then went to KTRS and then she got out of radio and then she's back at KTRS. And we are happy to have her. And so it's been wonderful this past week uh, to celebrate 25 years, to hear from listeners and to kind of celebrate some of my own legacy in the market as well, because, you know, I was back there in the year 2000. So how long has Max on Movies been on KTRS now? Uh, Max on Movies hit KTRS in 2016 and yeah. uh, it hit the St. Louis airwaves back on KFTK in 2006. And it is uh, consistently been on the air in St. Louis since 2006. Nice. So that's quite a record. Congratulations on you. that. Thank you very much. All right. Shall we talk? Uh, shall we talk Academy Awards? Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. All righty. So I've been trying to catch up on all the shorts. I have not have been able to see them all, but that's usually a ballot buster. So, and I'm still as confused as ever. What? I got two questions for you guys. Mm -hmm. What is the one nomination this year that you really want to win tonight? And what do you recall as your first Oscars ceremony? Watch it. Mm. Well, I'm sure it would be it. like 1980 or 81 because I was like nine or 10 and I and Empire Strikes Back was nominated for things. And I and they won. I think Empire is the last movie in the Star Wars um, genre to win unless unless some of the sequels got uh, technical awards. But I think Empire is the last movie to win any Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah I, I think, that well, yeah. I don't we, think we'll Jedi have to we'll anything. have to look that up. Max, do you remember your first Oscars? What was the year with Snow White when when the lady thirty seven? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. When the uh, the young dancer came out dressed as Snow White and oh, Rob with Lowe. Rob, oh, Rob, Rob Lowe. Lowe. Yeah. yeah, they did this big song and dance number that was awful, and it was about going through like the history. That was like maybe. It was early 80s, and that's probably the one that I, that I remember seeing first. Um, I, I don't know exactly the year on that, though, 85, 86. 
Um, but, you know, I've always, I mean, most people watch it every year and I definitely, the more I got into film, the more, you know, seriously I took it, you know, and, and really this is the first year in the last decade that I will not be live tweeting the Oscars. Uh, you can, you're not going to do it. I'm not, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at max on movies, but I, I, every year since I've been on Twitter for the past decade, I've live tweeted the Oscars and it's been a whole lot of fun to mix it up with other other people and get new followers and make dumb jokes. And it's been something that I've looked forward to, but last year, a couple of things happened. Uh, it was the lowest rated Oscars uh, in, in history. But and- then, now, hold on. That's misleading because it still might be the lowest rated Oscars, but one, it's sold out and two, it will be, in the top 10 of shows watched this year if you take out sports right i'm just saying last year it was a it was a low-rated show there weren't a lot of movies for people to rally behind and when i did the live tweet i realized that people weren't interacting and it seemed that people just didn't care so it was a lot of work for not a lot of return on investment so i decided i made the announcement last year i said i'm not doing this anymore and uh you know and i i'm actually looking forward to to watching it tonight without having to do all of that work but my favorite oscars broadcast of all time was uh 2008, I believe, when uh, when when Hugh Jackman hosted and sang with Anne Hathaway, I thought he was incredible. I loved his opening performance where he ended with "I'm Wolverine." I just thought that uh, Hugh Jackman did the absolute best job. Your other question, Lynn, was who do I hope against hope wins tonight more than anybody else? And that's a very easy answer for me. It's Paul Racy for Sound of Metal. But he's not going to win. I I know, but that would be. But my, that's the my one choice. he wants to see win. Yeah. I think uh, Carl, what, what what's yours? Um, I would like, to, I would like to see Soul win for best original um, score, which I think is pretty given. I think there's a uh, two shoe ins tonight: Daniel Kaluuya as best supporting actor and best sound sound of metal. True. If sound of metal does not win sound, then we're in we're in trouble because that's just like a given well, and, and daniel kaluuya will definitely win because nobody has won every single televised award and not won the oscar so this would be the first time in television history if he doesn't win that that would happen and of course you know those those sort of uh records are meant to be broken so who knows we could have a a, a surprise i, I would lo- I'd love to see paul racy do it just because i love sound and metal but sound and metal has to win sound the whole the right. whole movie is sound design. I know. It's just incredible. Now, I think the one person I want to see win tonight is Carrie Mulligan for Best Actress for Promising <laughs> uh, Young Woman. And I just cannot believe this Best Actress race, which we'll get into, is so close and so tight because each of them have won different awards and no, I, I don't think vanessa kirby has won anything has she <laughs> no she's the only one that's been shut out yeah so so when people talk about it's a really tight race really it's a four-woman race and i don't mean to disrespect vanessa kirby but i mean she's there's no scenario right in which she wins right right well um let's talk about the ceremony before we we, we do well, our Max, predictions hold on a second lynn i i looked it up it was 1989 the rob Lowe Okay. Dancing with Snow White. That is the first uh-huh. one I remember watching. So I, I was 11. Well, the, the first one I remember is when I was in third grade, my mother let me stay up such as, it, such as it is when you're in third grade. I only lasted so long. But it was the year that Gregory Peck won for To Kill a Mockingbird. So well, that 61? was my first example. And they um, 
they also um, showed a commercial for the birds. Alfred Hitchcock's film, The Birds. And that scarred me <laughs> watching these birds go after those kids in the playground and everything in the commercial. And I'm like, oh my God, as a young child. But I have only missed two Oscars in uh, since 1963. So interesting. Uh, the uh, advent of the VCR has certainly helped. So, but tonight, this is going to be unprecedented territory. It's going to be at the Los Angeles Union Station, and there are going to be trains coming in and out. So this will be an experience. We're also going to see some of the Dolby theater now uh the other award shows and i've watched them all the worst was the globes with the zoom problems and then they have sun done some sort of hybrid since then they uh, uh steven soderberg is one of the producers tonight and he said the oscars are not a webinar hmm. well it's, it's filmed like a movie they're going to shoot it at uh 30 frames per second or yeah, uh, yeah Steven Soderbergh said that uh, he's not only shooting it like a movie this year as far as film speed but he says that the the presenters are going to be playing a version of themselves so he mentioned Brad Pitt Harrison Ford Halle Berry almost being cast members in tonight's movie of the Oscars I don't know what that means it seems like last year the ratings were down and this year, because it was a pandemic year, people haven't seen a lot of these movies because they haven't left their house. They don't know about access. I know people were very confused about video at home. And so I think that maybe the lack of eyes is going to feed this creativity where Soderbergh is going to try something very strange. It's going to be 7 p.m. on ABC, and uh, they're going to have a, a earlier show called uh, In... Oscars into the spotlight at 530. It's a very limited red carpet, as you can imagine. We don't have all the, the live people. Now, there's a lot of people that are ragging on this year. Now, I found this year as a rich film year because I watched like 170 in uh, movies, mostly independent. Uh, maybe Tenet was the one big blockbuster. And that probably will win Best Special Effects tonight. Right. But this is the opportunity this year to break records and to be an historic night, especially for women. The most women ever have been nominated 70. That's what, yeah, it's a, it's a record 76 nominations going to women. And for the first time in the Academy's 93 year history, two women will compete in the best director race. You've got Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. And speaking of diversity, Chloe is Chinese born and Emerald is British. Now, Catherine Bigelow, of course, is the only woman to have won best director for The Hurt Locker. Only five women have ever been nominated before. And tonight we could have had three female nominees but regina king did not make the cut for her work in one night in miami which honestly is too bad because she's a really great job well i i can't wait to see what happens chloe Zhao is the favorite and she will be the first person of color to win best act uh, to win director. director and then uh in the acting categories nine of the 20 nominations have gone to people of color which is a record and Anthony Hopkins is the oldest Best Actor nominee at 83. 
Yes. And if Anne Roth wins for costume for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, she will be the oldest uh, winner at 89 tonight. She's a legend, Anne Roth. So, and, and, and Stephen Young for Minari is not only the first Asian American to be nominated for Best Actor, but also the first Asian American to be nominated for Best Actor who was murdered by zombies on television. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't murdered by zombies, was he? Didn't Negan kill him? In the books, Negan killed. I don't know. I oh. didn't keep up with that show. See, he yeah. was Glenn. He was a beloved he was Glenn. Glenn. Walking Dead. But you're Glenn right. It was the ba- it was the baseball bat. You're right. He he hid from zombies in the trash can, and people thought he was dead, but he wasn't dead. Anyway, all right. Yeah. Um, so I, I looked um, it up. I looked it up. Return of the Jedi did win a special achievement Oscar, uh-huh. a non competitive Oscar, but sequels and prequels a zero. We have 11 first-time nominees in the acting categories, too. So that's very cool. I think there's a lot of possibility tonight to break records, and that's why I'm excited. Chadwick Boseman was nominated posthumously, and it's only the eighth time that's happened in 93 years. Uh, The previous ones are uh, Jeannie Eagles, Ralph Richardson, uh, Massimo Troisi, Spencer Tracy, and James Dean twice. Uh, plus, the only two actors to have won after their deaths are Peter Finch and Heath Ledger. Uh, what do you guys think about Chadwick? I guess we'll get to that when we get to his category, but I think he has a pretty good chance of being the third after Peter Finch and Heath Ledger. I do, too. Uh, he's going to win. Hang on. I got just one more. Here, here we go. Sorry, Carl. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll start. I'll stop saying that. Well, you you don't have to do that. I'm not going to cut any of this out. So go ahead. No, you should cut it out for Pete's sake. All right, here we go. Uh, The previous record holder for the Oscar-nominated film with the longest title was released in 1964. It had 85 characters, and the title was Those Magnificent Men in Their Flying Machines or How I Flew from London to Paris in 25 Hours, 11 Minutes. Do you guys know what has set the Guinness World Records for the longest title of any nominated movie in history that is up for an award tonight, which has 110 characters? Borat. And do you know what the title is, or should I give it to you? Borat, subsequent movies, film, and then there's more. Delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Borat, Uh subsequent movie, film. That uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's a genius. I would say, well, there's 10,000 members that vote tonight. So the the voting closed the other day. So we will see what happens, but uh, they have that weird system for best picture. So that's why we've had so many upsets in the millennium. It's always the second choice that wins because that's how these ballots work. We do the same thing in our, in our local film group. So I think if there are nine films, you each, you, you put, it's a scale of one to nine. So and yeah. also tonight, what might be interesting is the eight Best Picture nominations, they all have a chance to take home at least one statue. So it might be really spread out. All right, Lynn, let's go from the bottom up. We'll end with Best Picture. All righty. So we have live action short film. The nominations are Feeling Through, The Letter Room, The Present, Two Distant Strangers, and White Eye. 
the only movie that I've heard any buzz about is Two Distant Strangers. I watched Same. it and it's very powerful. And given uh, the events of this past week, I think it's the winner. But some people think The Letter Room, which stars uh, Oscar Isaac and is, uh, is directed by his wife, Elvira Lynn thinks that that's going to win, but I and think your money's friends. on. They have friends. They yeah. have friends that are Academy I think, voters. I think Two Distant Strangers, which is available on Netflix. If you want to watch it, you can see it on Netflix. Max, do you have a preference? I think Two Distant Strangers, I mean, whenever you have a category like this, like the short categories, it's whatever is broken through to the rank and file like us. I mean, the Academy, like Carl said, people have their friends, people vote for their friends. But usually if a movie has enough buzz that's, that three random people in the Midwest have heard of it, then yes, it's going to win. So I would say Two Distant Strangers. Yes, and it's very powerful. It's about a, um, it's, it's very interesting. It's about a black man and a white cop. And I'll and, just stop there. <laughs> but it's also Groundhog Day. Yeah, a terrifying, terrifying Groundhog Day. Best and, animated uh, short. Okay, animated short is Burrow, Genius Loki, If Anything Happens, I Love You, Opera, and Yes People. More people have seen Burrow, but I keep hearing about If Anything Happens, I Love You. Yes, I think I... If Anything Happens, I Love You is going to win. It is also available on Netflix. And uh, the reason why is it is about a school shooting. Grief. And grief. And remember when the Parkland kids were getting mowed down in the high school and they were texting their parents, If Anything Happens, I Love You? That's if, if where there the wasn't a pandemic, from. I would say Burrow would probably win because that would have been in front of Seoul. So more people would have seen it that way. But uh, Burrow was for free on Disney Plus for the last eight months. It's very cute. It's, it was developed by the Pixar Spark Shorts. Yeah. And uh, two ex-Pixar people or two Pixar people have that have branched out on their own are nominated. Opera might be the strangest animated movie I've ever seen. Well, I think that opera is going to win. I think that uh, there's been a lot of buzz and a lot of positive praise for Eric O's movie. And I think that uh, if anything happens, I Love You is such a great film that you can see on Netflix right now. But I think the subject matter might actually keep it from winning in a way, because I think that some Academy voters might think, oh, I don't want to watch something about school shootings, so I'll watch something else. And I think opera is so unique and so different. I think that's the one that's going to win. It's it's very clever, but it's really bizarre. It's hard to watch. It's hard to watch because it's so busy. It's all these rooms in this giant triangle-like thing of different things going on. Life and death. We have funerals. We have weddings. We have people having sex. We have uh, these little ball-shaped uh, these heads. Just massive amounts of people going about their daily business. It's just. And then it has this really ominous music. Now, yes, people is from Iceland and it are the, the people that live in this apartment building. And it's really, it gives you a Wallace and Gromit feel because there's unusual shapes to these characters. And it's really bizarre, but it's funny. 
And then uh, the other one, this genius loci, uh, loci is uh, from France and it is very esoteric. All right, best documentary short. All right, best documentary short is... A love song for Natasha. Colette, a concerto is a conversation. Hunger Ward and Do Not Split. And a love song for Natasha. I have gotten so many emails about Hunger Ward. Those PR people are working overtime. And a concerto is then a a conversation. Which I think Um, is the front runner right now. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Colette sort of pulled an upset, but I think uh, the conversation is, is the one that is the favorite right now. And this right. is all, these are the ones that always bust people's brackets. Yes. No one has seen them. That's right. why, in case Lynn is keeping track of this, I'm saying Colette for the upset. All right. I think it's going to be Love Song for Latasha, which is also available on Netflix. Um, it is about a girl that was murdered in a convenience store because the clerk thought she was stealing a bottle of orange juice. And shot her in the back of the head. And she had the $2 in her hand to pay for the orange juice. And she, uh, it's about her life and her memories. It is a, it's not a crisp and clean film. The technique is rather uh, jarring. But it is about this real person. And in light of the, the, the shorts tend to go for the sociopolitical moods of the country. And I think that's why. But get this, Latasha was born in East St. Louis. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so, uh, but their family moved to LA and this happened in 1991 in LA. And it's credited with being part of the uprising in the 1992 riots after the Rodney King verdict. All right. All right. Let's go to long feature documentary. Lynn, you're, you're tossed up on this one. Oh, I'm, I just can't even make up my mind every day. They're I all pick really good. Yes. Yeah. That's what the trouble is here because they're all so good. And did you notice that none of them, well, collective, you could argue, is political, but none of the ones involving the U.S. political scene were nominated, which is interesting. It's just, I mean, people keep talking about best actress, but honestly, the documentary feature is such a stacked category. Mm-hmm. Collective is amazing. The mole agent is wonderful. And my octopus teacher is, I think, a landmark. So, I mean, the three of those right away are just really tough to figure out. What's and Lynn be? loves Crip Camp. I know. I think I'm yeah. still sticking with that because that oh, was wow. the first one I saw in Jan- uh, It was at Sundance last year, and I saw it right away uh, last year after the buzz. And because of the ADA's anniversary, I was going to go with my octopus teacher because everybody loves it. And it has been the front runner. But I think no, I'd I say time, time might be the front runner. Yeah, see, this is a thing. They're all so good. They are, they are. But I'm going to have to go with Octopus Teacher. I don't think, I mean, I would love it if Mole Agent won, but I think Octopus Teacher is going to be the doc to beat. I think it's going to be time because that is very socially conscious right now. It is, and it's so well done. Oh, those those last 10 minutes. Oh, my gosh. 
they're just really poignant and that so yeah that, that i think that's probably the toughest category of the night next to best actress what do you guys think i don't know i i this year is going to be so weird yeah i know so what do you think of for production design we have the father ma rainey's black bottom mank and a tenant and news of the world i think this will be one of the few that mank wins i agree yeah, it I has, can see it going for either Mank or Ma Rainey. Yeah, Ma, but that's, that only takes place in one room, two rooms. Yeah, I think Mank, uh, because of the way Fincher is so obsessive with detail, our friend and uh, St. Louis Critics Association president, Jim Tudor, worked for Fincher on the set of Gone Girl, Gone Girl. Yep. and talked about how obsessive he was with every single detail. All right. Okay, so. Makeup. Eh, okay. It's Ma Yeah, Rainey. Ma Rainey. We have yeah. Emma, Hillbilly, Elegy, Elegy, I'm sorry, I always say that wrong, Elegy, and Mank and uh, Pinocchio, which is the Roberto Benino Pinocchio. It's, it's his second Pinocchio, actually. Right. Um, because now he's Geppetto. Uh, right. He, the and, first one he played Pinocchio. Right. And now yeah. he's and, playing Geppetto. And that one actually has a, a big buzz. If you guys watched the trailer for that, I have not seen the full movie, but it does look pretty remarkable as far as, as makeup. So, I mean, if you're in that industry, which, you know, the people in the makeup department vote on this. So, right. I mean, that actually could be a, an, an upset a, as well. But, uh, but I mean, Ma Rainey is the safe bet. Yes. Right. And that, that hair that Amy Adams and Glenn Close had in Hillbilly Elegy, I don't even see why it would be nominated. They're I not going to give that movie any awards. Uh-huh. It's going to win a Razzie. Not. I hope not. <laughs> oh, were the Razzies? Oh, the Razzies were last night. Sorry. Yes, they were. They're hilarious. Uh, Rudy Giuliani won. <laughs> All right. And that My Pillow Guys film, Absolute Proof. All right, so, I'm torn on uh, best original song because oh. normally there's a hit in there, and this year there aren't any. I think Leslie J. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. is going to win for "Speak Now" from "One Night in Miami" because that'll be where "One Night in Miami, Miami" gets recognized. Something. And also, um, Diane Warren has been nominated eight times and she's lost. And they really push her hard. And she has that movie from the Sophia Loren movie, The Life Ahead, Low C. So she could win because they, I didn't you get personal emails from, from her friends? Yeah, but I mean, that happens every year. And I kind of think she's the Susan Lucci right now of the music category. I don't think they're in any rush to award her anything because if they don't, she's going to be back next year with another tearjerker. I think that in a way, some of the Academy voters might have Diane Warren fatigue. And so I actually don't think she's going to win this. I also don't think that Leslie Odom Jr. is going to win for Speak Now, not because I didn't like the song or he doesn't have an angelic voice because he does, but that only is played in the movie during the end credits. I think that that will have an effect on Academy voters. Uh, you think Husevic's going to win? Netflix has pushed this a bunch and it actually figures into the story and the plot of the movie. Academy voters like that for best song. So I actually think Eurovision, the, the, the crazy comedy, uh, is going to win best song. 
Yeah, Netflix has really been pushing it hard. Now, I like the Her uh, one from uh, Judas and the Black Messiah as the best song, but I don't think it's going to win. You do too, Carl? No, I think I think Max could be right. I think it I it could be any of that. It could be Diane Warren. It could be One Night in Miami, or it could be uh, Eurovision. I don't like Diane Warren's songs. I'm sorry, but that one from Con Air that that won all the music you don't like award. The Aerosmith. Uh, I don't want to miss a thing. No, I don't. No, <laughs> I think she's sappy. I think her her songs are sappy, why are and I get tired of listening to them after like two times. But why why are you apologizing for that? You're like, I don't like her music. I'm sorry. Don't apologize. You're not, Just... a, you're not alone on that hill, Lynn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it seems like she's like a darling, but then she never wins. So. <laughs> All right. So we have the original score. I think this is a lot. Um, it is to five bloods. It's only nomination, which is a real crime this year. Uh, this you know, is terrible. That's that's the only nomination that if I could uh, somehow manipulate the time space continuum and, uh, and and give somebody a nomination it would be Delroy Lindo for five bloods. One of the best performances in any movie I've ever seen. And that's not hyperbole. It really is. It's extraordinary work. And the fact that uh, he's not nominated for best actor makes no sense to me at all. No, it just is. It's just such a egregious oversight. And we have uh, Mank, which is uh, Trent Ross, uh, Ross, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. Yeah. And, and then we have Minari, which is a fabulous score. And we have News of the World, which was James Newton Howard. And I really enjoyed that. And uh, Soul, my man, John Baptiste with Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. So they're going to win. Yeah, that's a lock. I mean, they're, I mean, plus it is the best core of the year. So, I mean, they deserve and to win that, this. And that is incorporated in the movie the entire time. Yeah. Right. And John Batiste did the jazz and the other two did the the uh, great beyond the, the boopy, it's boopy, just boopy it's just sound. such a that movie is such a masterpiece but we'll get to that okay costume design we have emma we have ma rainey's black bottom mank mulan and pinocchio ma rainey i really liked emma the best i think it's gonna be ma rainey yeah that's gonna be yeah what do you think, Carl? I think it will be Ma Rainey. We got the yellow shoes that Chadwick Boseman's Levi wears. And we got Ma Rainey's outfits. It deserves it more than it deserves production design. Right. Now, sound. We, we already said sound. We already said sound. It's sound, sound of metal. It's got sound, sound in the title. Yeah, sound of metal has to win. Well, if it doesn't, it's going to be like this huge. I, I might stop watching the, the ceremony if it doesn't win because what the heck? And th I that's know. nothing against Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, or Soul. It's just Sound of Metal. And actually, it's not the sound, it's the lack of sound. Yeah. And it's, it's this brilliant. Is the first year that they, this is the first year that they didn't divide sound up into two categories. Now it's just sound. That's right, because it would have been sound editing and sound mixing. This would have been a lock for mixing because that's the whole point of what he heard and what he didn't hear. Uh, so it might not have won sound editing. That might have been something more like soul. Uh, but now that they are together, that does, I mean, Carl brings up a great point. 
it's two different categories, two different uh, expertise, you know, and so maybe that does uh, boost up something like Soul, you know, kind of taking some votes away from Sound of Metal. I agree. Well, it's, when you're watching it, you just know it's brilliant. Okay, visual effects. Love and Monsters, yeah. The Midnight Sky, Mulan, <laughs> The One and Only Ivan, well, and Tenet. Tenet, yes. I would love to see Mulan take this. I think there's some really amazing visuals that would have really connected with audiences had it been on the big screen. I mean, it had a Disney Plus release because of uh, COVID. I, I would really love to see Mulan take this. I think it's... Uh, a better overall movie than Tenet, but I think that they want to give Chris Nolan something to say, "Hey, sorry, your movie didn't do anything uh, during the uh, uh, pandemic." So but I guess, the, but Tenet the won. visual effects are the only good thing about Tenet. That yeah, back well, and forth, that backwards and forwards, yeah, on the highway, that seals the oh, deal that to highway me. Highway scene. Oh, as yeah. soon as you see that, you're like, "Holy Jesus! What? How did they do that?" Yeah. Yeah, so I think that that's the one. I don't, I did not enjoy The Midnight Sky. No. And so I have a hard no, time. Nobody did. No, yeah. it's a well, bad movie. Well, Dan loved it. So, uh, well. but uh, Mulan, but yeah, no, the other ones are okay. I didn't see Love and Monsters. Did you guys? Uh, no, I wanted to see Love and Monsters. They kept promoting I, yeah. it. I've heard good things, actually, but no, I have not seen it. All right, okay, so, so yeah. editing, like Tenet would be, uh, you'd think it would be a shoe in for editing, but it's not nominated for editing. So you have- Well, because father. it goes on, it goes on for a half hour, way too long. And then you, you totally have lost interest by mid midpoint. So um, film editing, The Father, Nomadland, The Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, The Trial of the Chicago 7 has won the Ace Eddie Award, which is for editing. So I'm going to stick with that. But there is a theory that editing goes hand in hand with sound often. So maybe Sound of Metal. What do you guys think? That that is a good point, especially since there's no sound editing Oscar anymore. So give it some love. And then some people think the father because it plays with the time and and it's smooth and because it goes from different apartment to different apartment with seamlessly. Right. The second season of awards, which I call because uh, St. Louis Film Critics, we did our awards in January and many other critics groups did. As and we then should have. The Oscars extended the deadline for eligible films to February 28th. So then we got this spate of films because Max and I are in the Critics' Choice Association and we had a vote for the March 7th ceremony. And so we got Judas and the Black Messiah, Malcolm and Marie, The Father, all these movies One that didn't come Miami. Out. Yeah, that didn't come out in December. And so now with such a long Oscar season, we have seen momentum shift. You know, I, I think that Sound of Metal could definitely win this because of the editing split, as you guys have brought up. But I, I would also go with Lynn here and say Trial of Chicago 7 will probably win because you had so many different storylines to kind of weave together. And I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, even though I wasn't a giant fan of that movie, I do think film editing would be warranted. All and right, I think cinema. that's the one award it's going to get. Cinematography. 
I think Mank is this is that's the only good thing about Mank <laughs> is it looks pretty. It's not gonna win. What? I, I think Nomadland's gonna win. I think Joshua James Richardson is gonna win. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that so much of that movie is the beautiful vistas that you see. Uh, and I think that, yeah, cinematography, I think it's going to go to Nomadland. And then now, there's also Judas and the Black Messiah, News of the World, which also has beautiful cinematography. Yes. And uh, Chicago 7. What about these guys? News of the World, uh, it's uh, the oh, uh, Paul Greengrass. I think people from that are not born in this country have such a fascination with our American West. American West. And they make it look so fabulous. And so, but I Mank won the American Society of Cinematographers. It is it is shot beautifully. It is shot just like Citizen Kane is. Right. And now we have a international feature. Let's 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 do that yeah. first. International feature, which used to be best foreign film, but now it's international feature, which means it has to be produced not by an American company. Right. We have another round, better days, collective, and uh, Quo Vadis Aida, and then and the what's man the man who sold his skin. Right. I'm having a hard time reading this tiny print. <laughs> collective is nominated. This is the second category for collective, and this is the first of two for another round. So it's usually, they usually like to give one-to-one and one to the other. So another round is not going to win best director. So it'll probably win best international feature. And people will have seen it because they need to watch it so they can vote on best director. So I think that, yes, I think another round wins this one. It was the one that was heavily promoted and made several people's top 10 lists and one international feature uh i believe it won the st louis film critics award and it helps uh, that it has mads mickelson i mean he is a yep. known quantity here so right well the the these films are not promoted as well as they should be i just watched quo vadis aida because i heard so much about it for months like it really should win it it should be the front runner it's better than another round but whoever distributed it did a poor job because us film critics didn't get to see it when we were voting for the award so it's on hulu now a friend a friend pointed it out to me so i watched it oh my god this film is so good it is about the bosnian massacre of 1995 when the un forces were supposed to be protecting these people but 8000 and some people were massacred in, in Serbia during the whole genocide ordeal in those those countries and it is harrowing it is brutal you feel like you are there we know what happened but you feel like you are there and i would if this wins if kovadas Aida pulls up an upset. I would not be surprised. I don't think it's going to do it, but it should win and it could win. All right. Screenplays start with adapted. Okay. So we have Borat, Borat, the father, Nomadland, one night in Miami and the white tiger. You know, what should have been here instead of white tiger. I'm thinking of ending things by Charlie Kaufman. 
Yes. Max is very upset that that movie didn't get anything this year. Oh, it's just like totally ignored. Yeah, I think it's going to be the father. I think it's going to be Nomadland because it's going to start. That's when you'll know that things are starting to pick up for Nomadland's best picture win. I agree. Same, same as Carl. Okay. All right. Sorry. I was thinking it was going to be. Lynch is coming from that theater background and she wants the play to win. Well, no, I'm just saying it's got it's going to be like, you know, the momentum, the father right. momentum is building because it did get a Best Picture nomination. OK, so original. the orig- original screenplay is Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal and the Trial of the Chicago Seven. I, I hate to say the movie that I don't care for is probably going to win Lynn's favorite, The Trial of Chicago Seven. I hope not. I, I I hope so so much that Emerson young woman this for promising young woman because what she was able to do with that movie is extraordinary and uh, it all starts with the script. So I I desperately hope that Emerald wins this. I do. I do too. I, do too. I want Emerald uh, and Spinell because I've been seeing her on so many talk shows. Fennel because I would say Fennel and so now we know it's Fennel, but. I, that this is going to be, I, I really hope it's her too. In fact, and it, that'll be great. All the other screenplays are better than Trial of Chicago 7. Minari's better, Sound of Metal's better, even yeah. Judas and the Black Messiah, which I have my problems with, but it's still better than the script for Chicago 7. As I will say again, and I will continue to say, Mangrove from Small Axe is better than the Trial of Chicago 7. Well, I'm still going to stand by me liking Trial of the Chicago 7, but uh, let's move on to one we can all agree on, Animated Animated Feature, feature. which uh, the nominations are Onward, which is the last movie I saw with you two gents in the theater. And we have Over the Moon, which I thoroughly enjoyed. We have the Sheep Farmageddon, the Shaun the Sheep movie. We have Soul and we have Wolfwalkers. Now, Farmageddon is in a rare air. They are with Incredibles, Shrek, uh, Toy Story, and um, How to Train Your Dragon for movies and their sequels that have been nominated for Best Animated Feature. You know, I I loved the first Shaun the Sheep movie, which was called- How much I like that movie. Yeah, Shaun the Sheep movie, uh, and, and it, it's wonderful. It's excellent. I was let down by Farmageddon. I think it was really kitty and really for for really small kids. Uh, my son watched it and loved it, though, so I don't know. I, I don't think it has a chance, though. I think that uh, I will just say that I can't believe that Onward was nominated because it's an awful, awful film, one of the worst that Pixar has ever done. I do think that Wolf Walkers has really positive buzz, and I think that uh, – I, I would not be overly shocked if Wolf Walkers pulled off an upset, but I mean, you have to give this a soul. Yes. And this would be Pixar's uh, 11th win in 20 years. So soul is a masterpiece. It was on my top 10 Wolf Walkers. Any other year would clean up and yes. cause it's beautiful. It's, good. it's, it's, it's a great form of animation. My daughter loved it. Oh, it's so beautiful. 
I think the only the only is, um, champion in Wolf Walker's corner is that just like Diane Warren, some Academy voters might say Pixar has enough. I mean, that is how people vote. And so right. even though even though Sola is a masterpiece, it was also in my top 10 and Carl's top 10. Uh, but no, I think that that fatigue could set in. I think that Wolf Walker's could actually do this. All right, let's do the big six now. Let's start with supporting actress. Is this going to, is actor or actress going to be supporting, going to be the first award of the night? You know, I was going to look that up. Actress. I, I, I think it's normally supporting actress is the first award. Well, they switch them up every year. The one okay. is actor, one is actress. So I think Brad Pitt was first last year, right? Oh, he was. Yeah, so then it'll be actress. It'll be actress. So it's Maria Bakalava. Uh, that's how she pronounced her name the other night on... Colbert and then uh, Glenn Close, which I can't even believe. Olivia Coleman, Amanda Seyfried, and Young John Jong. And everyone thinks it's going to be her. I hope so. The grandma in Minari. If Minari's going to win one, it's going to be the grandma. Now, Maria Bakalava could be the upset because you know how they love going with the youngsters in this award. Marissa Tomei, remember, from mm-hmm. my cousin Vinny. And Maria Bakalava was so fearless in Borat in her first movie. Do you think that Amanda Seyfried has any chance for playing Marion Davies? It would be nice. It would be nice. She is. She's the she's best part great. of Mank. And plus, I think just for the legacy of, of Marion, who... You know, she said redeemed. Well, she said in her memoir that she was never a strong enough actress to win the Oscar, even though the people around her tried their best to get her one. She just said, I was just not that good. And I think that uh, I would love to see some more love thrown to Marion Davies way. So in that respect, I'd be rooting for Amanda Seyfried. I mean, our group, our local group gave it to Maria because she is amazing in, in Borat's subsequent movie film, which was also on my top 10. Uh, last year but i do think i do think minari uh takes this home i think that movie takes this home the grandma she is a well-respected korean actress oh yeah she's she's famous over there she's she was she is like our brad pitt over there well i think uh, if glenn close wins because everybody feels sorry for her because she's got eight nominations and she hasn't won this movie doesn't it's going to be like paul newman in color of money i mean it's just come on he was great in color of money okay well you know what i'm saying they're trying to get them an award so they but glenn close plays meemaw in this horrible condescending movie it's the uh, and it's an awful awful movie now if she loses she ties with peter o'toole as the actors with the most nominations with no win well, let's hope that happens tonight. Well, I mean, I think she's due. I was so shocked she didn't win for the wife. The wife. Mm-hmm. And Olivia Coleman, who who uh, beat her for the favorite, she is uh, in The Father, and she's so good in that film. But I don't think she's going to get a second one. I think that if she beats uh, Glenn Close again, she should just give it to Glenn Close. <laughs> It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Supporting actor. Okay, so we have Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of the Chicago 7 as Abby Hoffman. Abby Hoffman. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya 
in Judas and the Black Messiah as Fred, Chairman Fred Hampton, Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami as Sam Cooke, Paul Racy in Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah. I would love it for it to be Paul Racy because he's actually a supporting actor and Daniel Kaluuya is a lead. It's category fraud. He, it he, is, and this this isn't going to be the, this isn't going to be the first time, and it isn't going to be the last time. But I will say, uh, I have been a Paul Racy fan the moment I saw that movie, and then I found out he grew up with deaf parents, and he did a lot of theater with them because he's so natural in this movie, and he's such a good uh, uh, such a good anchor to what is going on in Sound of Metal, and he did. They did do very well at the Independent Spirit Awards the other night. He won, but and he's been a day player for like 30 years in Hollywood. So that shout out to them. But as soon as I saw Judas and the Black Messiah, Daniel Kaluuya changed my ballot for Critics' Choice Association. Well, and he's yeah, won he was a lead so. there, wasn't he? Yeah, see, this is just so ridiculous because he is the movie. It's like William H. Macy in Fargo and Viola Davis in Fences. She won the Tonyest Best Actress. And then in the Oscars, they put her in the Best Supporting Actress. But well, this goes on all the time. There's no fraud in the Best Actress category. All of them are lead actors. So we have the potential to have two people of color win. Or we could even have all people of color in the top four which is going to be very interesting to see tonight. So, Carl, do you think it's going to be Daniel Kaluuya? I do. Now, here's the actress. This is the tough one. This is going to be the one everybody's going to be nail-biting on. Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She won the Screen Actors Guild. Andra Day, the United States versus Billie Holiday. She won the Golden Globe. Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman. She hasn't won anything, as you guys reminded me. Frances McDormand, Nomadland. She has two Oscars for Fargo 25 years ago and for three billboards in Ebbing, Missouri back in 2016, 17, whenever that was. Now, if she doesn't win actress, she could win as producer of Nomadland, so... There you go there. And then we have Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman, only her second nomination. Doesn't that seem that very odd? She hasn't been in that many movies. But every time she is, she's really good. Yeah. So, yes, I think Carrie Mulligan's going to win. Lynn, how about you? I want Carrie Mulligan to win. I've been reading all these predictions of all these different publications, and they think the race is between Andre Day and Frances McDormand. But I think a third Oscar is really tough. Just ask Meryl Streep. You know? Well, you know, first of all, I, I will say once again, and I, I hope that Vanessa Kirby's friends and family are not listening because I don't mean to cast aspersions on that young woman, but I would have uh, taken her out of the running here and put Jessie Buckley in for I'm thinking of ending things. I think that she should have been in this category. But anyway, uh, Frances McDormand is really so incredible in Nomadland. And when I hit play on that movie, I was thinking, okay, Francis, I know what you can do. And she surprised me again. I mean, she really is extraordinary in that movie. I would be fine if she won, but 
my heart would go to Carrie Mulligan. I hope Carrie Mulligan wins. I think that Cassie is an iconic character. I, I think about so many scenes from that movie uh, throughout my day. I think that she just did uh, an extraordinary job bringing that character to life. It's a really tough, tough role. And uh, I, I hope Carrie Mulligan wins this. Tough to make her sympathetic. Yes. All right, actor. Okay, here we go. This it is doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, uh, it is Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins, The Father, Gary Oldman, Mank, Stephen Young, and uh, Minari. I would Gary like to Oldman. see Stephen Young win, but really. I would. I would like to see Stephen Young win, but Chadwick Boseman is going to win, even though you could argue he's a supporting actor in that movie. You could. He breaks your heart in that movie. I know yeah. a lot of people think he's just going to win because, you know, he died no, so he's tragically. Really good. He, he's yeah, very he good. He should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I, I don't care if he was dead. He, he was really good in that movie. Uh, I don't think he I, I think it's going to be a bit of a shock. I think uh, Anthony Hopkins is going to win the oldest, uh, the oldest nominee at 83. And I think that he's just done, obviously he's a, he's an award winner, you know, uh, Oscar award winner in the past. But he is fantastic in the father. He's and great. I think, yeah. I think that uh, Chadwick's nomination was, was the, Hey, we're thinking about you move from the Academy. I think Anthony Hopkins will, will win this. If well, the that, if that would is... have done better, he would have been and Delroy Lindo would have been in this category. And, uh, also, Chadwick would have been in supporting for that too, right? Well, Delroy Lindo should have taken Gary Oldman's place, absolutely, in Mank, and that's what just really made me mad. Now, the growing sentiment is for Anthony Hopkins. However, I think that optic is in this particular giving year, it to an old white dude. Yeah, might not be good, but there are a lot of old white dudes in the academy. Well, Let's and face also, it. I think if you're looking at, at at diversity and inclusion, I think ageism is a real thing, and he's the oldest ever nominee, and I think <laughs> it, it would look really great. I mean, again, Chadwick is beloved, uh, but Chadwick got a nomination, a posthumous nomination. There's only eight other people that have ever had that, so I think that that is his award in a way, and I think that's why it'll go to- And only 20% of them have won. Right. Well, the, right, uh, exactly. the uh, Anthony Hopkins, the last 10 minutes of that film- that's what will win him the Oscar. That will wreck you. Those last 10 minutes. And are if you just... know anybody with Alzheimer's or dementia, it's very, very. Oh, and this is an actor who has done things in recent years like Transformers movies. And Four. so, yeah, for him to, yeah, stuff like The Right. And so for him to come back and do something that is this triumphant at, at his age, at this point in his career, I think it's a great story. And I think that's why he wins. And as Carl points out, Peter Finch and Heath Ledger, are the only two who have actually won uh, posthumous acting awards. So I think it's going to be Hopkins. And, also, and the movie does, thanks to him, the movie doesn't feel like a play. Well, the, um, the Silence of the Lambs, his Hannibal Lecter is to me the number one villain of all time in films. Worse and than Darth Vader? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because he's, you know, he's real. And also, like, if <laughs> you're not talking. Real. Not real. It's he's fiction. just, as, he's just as fake as Darth Vader. There is no Hannibal Lecter. Well, I don't know. 
And then uh, <laughs> well, I do know it's fiction. No, it, it Thomas is Thomas Harris wrote, wrote it out of his own. We, we're brain. telling you, it is. I know. Okay, but well, yeah. Hey, well, if you saw the internet, Darth Vader even scares dogs. So well, Hannibal Darth Lecter Vader is very, people. very, very scary. But last year he was nominated as Pope Benedict, and he did a fabulous job. Yeah, true. Yeah, good point. So you have that momentum too from previous years. It's going to be Hopkins. I so interesting. This will be interesting. Okay, so best director. director we have Lee Isaac Chung Minari, and we have um, no um, Emerald 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 Fennel Fennel and for Fennel, um, not Fennel like the. You just yeah, Fennel. Fennel. It. It's yeah. David Fincher in Mank, Thomas Vinterberg in another round, which was to me the big surprise, and then Chloe Zhao, uh, Nomadland. I'm. It's it's good for a Marvel director to win Best Director. It, that as Max, did you tell me this the other day? No, it was Dan. Dan Buffa, our friend Dan Buffa, said. Marvel is just waiting to put out all the eternal stuff just so it can say with best director Academy yeah. Award winner Chloe Zhao. It's true. And I think she she deserves it for Nomad Land. People really love the writer from a couple of years ago that she did. I think that, yeah, I, I think that she is the winner here for best director. This film is such a natural. The the beauty of the landscape and the performances and everything combines. She captured such beauty and grace and dignity. And uh, it, yeah, I don't see how she came. It's hers to lose. She's won everything, hasn't she? She's got like 40 awards. And now the big one. Da, 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 da. The nominees are. They are. The, the father. father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. There's eight. Only two of those would really make me upset if they won, and it would be Trial of Chicago Seven and Mank. And I think the trial has a really good chance of winning, actually. And no. uh, both of those would make me upset. The rest of them, the other six, I'm fine with. Uh, no, I would like I, I I would not be disappointed if either Minari, Promising Young Woman, or Nomadland wins tonight. I am fine with any of those winning Best Picture. Right, no picture has won everything that Nomadland has won and lost. Like it won the PGA, which pretty much seals the deal. But I would because of the way they vote that it's it's a weird thing they have to get okay so every best picture ballot is ranked from for this year one, one to eight nine or, one or it could eight. be one through ten and they have to get 500 plus one vote we got ten thousand people voting so the lowest ones get knocked off and their votes get added to other ones till somebody gets 51%. So it's weird. That's why we've had Green Book win. That's why we've had, uh, look at the upsets, the, uh, Moonlighting, Moonlight. 
or Moonlight over Moonlighting. Is wow, I didn't TV know a television show. series. Yeah, came I'm in. sorry. Moonlighting is the TV show with Bruce Willis. No, Moonlight over La La Land. Now, back in the day, these are the upsets in just the past, the 2000, Moonlight over La La Land. And we had um, last year, Green Book over, no, last year was Parasite over people thought 1917 which i know you guys don't like or the hollywood one from tarantino once upon a time in hollywood question for you lynn should we change our voting for best picture in our local st louis film critics to this kind of ballot that adds to uh movies Confusion? yeah no should we, no should we adopt this no ours is weighted though our ballots are weighted so if, but if yeah know, no if you know how to do it <laughs> right so yeah i don't know so the, uh, is it you think it's going to be nomad land i think it's going to be nomad land but i would not be surprised if it's minori given the climate of what's and going i'm okay on. with that i'm okay you know, with I, it i i don't think minori has a chance to win best picture i i think that the the dark horse the one that i'm worried about is trial of chicago seven uh, I would be most pleased a Promising Young Woman won Best Picture because I do think it's one of the best pictures of the year. I think it's a, a an iconic moment in our cultural zeitgeist. So I, I really, I, I, I think that's the one that probably deserves it the most. But I think it's going to be Nomadland. It's, it's universally beloved except for, for Mark Cox. But other than that, yes. everybody I can't wait loves... to call Mark Cox tomorrow. I'm going to wake up yeah. early. At ten after five, and I'm going to call Mark Cox when Nomadland wins and say, "I think, yeah. think Nomadland will definitely win Best Picture." Well, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "I think this is the best movie of the of the year. That's the best movie I've seen all year." It is a remarkable film of grace and beauty, was and it what your it has, one, Lynn. Yeah, it was. Well, no, I mean, what on your personal top ten? Yes. Was it your number yeah. one? Yeah, okay. yeah, number one. I had it as number two. I had my well, prom, promising young woman was my number five. I had um, so I yeah. The only one that I would not like to see tonight is Mank, and it's got nope. ten nominations, which are ten too many. But I will say, no, it Seyfried's is deserved. Cinematography is deserved. Well, I meant like it shouldn't be the number one of film with the most nominations because it, as a film, it doesn't. But the technical brilliance, I give it that. Just the story, for God's sakes. It took me three times. It took me, well, it's indulgent. And it didn't happen. Yeah, it's indulgent. It is boring. It took me three times to get through it. I was like, well, dear God, is anything going to, yeah. It had too many subplots spiraling. It's just so, but Nomadland, the, the way it was shot, every element using the real people, when you see clips from it, it just is a beautiful film. I also like the score for Nomadland a whole lot, which I think was not eligible because there were previously re- uh, released right. material that was used, but the score is still fantastic for it. My top five last year were was Nomadland at number five, Sound of Metal at number four, Promising Young Woman at number three, Defy Bloods at number two, which got no love. Uh, and I'm thinking of anything at number one, which also got no love. So uh, it was a weird year for me. Well, yeah. I had Defy, Defy Bloods was my number three. 
And I just can't believe how it was left out of so yeah. much. Because to me, it was Spike Lee's most complete film. It's it's one of his best films. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Well, and Max, I'm just, yeah, I'm glad Terrence Blanchard did get nominated for the score. All Marvin Gaye songs were used in that score. But even like Jonathan Majors. Yeah, I know. Was, was I mean, what a great cast. Yeah. And what, a, what a great screenplay. I don't know. I, oh, I love it. When, when Delroy, when Chadwick Boseman gives Delroy Lindo that look, when they're in the flashback towards the end Oh my God. Delroy's that, speeches to the camera are just some of the best acting I've ever seen. It's I, I was, I was mesmerized, just amazing stuff. So I hope Spike knows that, uh, you know, the Academy. We had appreciate it, you know, him. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit of a joke anyway. I mean, Scorsese didn't win forever. I mean, I totally, you know, Hitchcock and was Spike rarely has nominated. Won. Yeah, and Spike has. I know. I just, I just mean it's sometimes people put too much importance on it. He made. Yeah, it. well, everyone, everyone thought. Okay, I guess, I guess the Academy's not mad at Spike anymore after Black Klansman. And it seems. Right. Oh wait, no, no, they still are. <laughs> well, yeah, Carl, what do you have to say about picks? You were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to thank Max for coming on. Well, thank you, Max, so much. Uh, just a real quick. These are these are upsets that have happened that we should finally remember. Crash over Brokeback Mountain, Shakespeare in Love over Saving Private Ryan, and LA Confidential. How Green Was Oh Yeah, Titanic over LA Confidential. How Green Was My Valley over Citizen Kane, Driving Miss Daisy over Born on the Fourth of July, Chariots of Fire over Reds, uh, In the Heat of the Night over The Graduate, Annie Hall over Star Wars, and A Brave Heart over what was the movie that Braveheart beat 1996 I'm totally Something that didn't have an anti-semitic director and star <laughs> yeah yeah and the greatest show on earth beat the quiet man back in 1953 and American in Paris beat a place in the sun in 1952 is the biggest oscar upset of all time and i know i don't want to end this broadcast by getting lynn venhouse upset with me but is it annie hall over star wars no i think it would be <laughs> no i think it would be shakespeare in love over saving private ryan. ryan yeah probably I think it's I think it's Annie Hall over Star Wars. It's Annie Hall. Well, I know I know Woody's not popular these days, so it's it's not even about that. It's about the cultural impact that Star Wars has had on an entire generation of people. I mean, you don't see that legacy from Annie Hall, and so uh, Lynn, it was a Braveheart over Babe. Oh, Babe was so awesome. No, it was was Apollo thirteen. During the pandemic, I finally watched Babe, A Pig in the City. Oh, is that great? It's good. Both Babe films are good. Yeah, you know, those are the but it perfect was, it was Brave double Heart feature. Over Apollo 13. Oh, that's right. Apollo 13. But Babe oh. actually was nominated for Best Picture that year. Yeah. Babe is great. Babe's a great... I mean, George Miller did a great job with that. That'll it's do really, big. If you yeah, need a feel-good double feature during the pandemic, Babe and Babe Pig in the City is the way to yeah. go. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been wonderful to be reunited with the Real Times trio and to be a part of that trio. I yes. appreciate that. So thank you very much. And I will just say that people can follow me on Twitter at Max and Movies. I'm not- But not tonight. 
I'm not tweeting right this second, but eventually I'll, I'll hit those buttons and get back there. So follow me there. And also, of course, listen to Max on Movies on uh, KTRS. You can go to ktrs.com slash Max on Movies. You'll hear me. You'll hear Carl Middleman. We'll have to get Lynn Venhouse in there, too. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Carl the Intern. And you can hear me on the Mark Reardon show most of the week. Awesome. I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times. I am on KTRS every Thursday night. Miller Furniture presents Lynn Venhouse Goes to the Movies around 1030 with Ray Hartman. And tomorrow morning, I will be with Jennifer Blom and Wendy Weiss talking about the Oscars at 11. 35 p.m. a.m. on KTRS. And I also have my own website, poplifestl.com. Oh, yeah. You might hear me uh, on the Mark Cox Morning Show tomorrow talking about uh, my love of No Man Land and his absolute hatred of it. And you will definitely hear me on the John Carney and Julie Buck show probably right around noon talking about the Oscars and my thoughts on that, too. Okay. I figured you would be, Max. Well, everybody have fun tonight. We'll be texting, I'm sure. Everybody and, uh, tonight. Yes. <laughs> Hooray for Hollywood, no now matter I'm what. Play at the hockey game. I'm writing that down. I'm going to play at the hockey game on Monday. Everybody wang chung tonight. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.